theology from the video just to just to clarify. Um, my personal view is that the church isn't uh, raising up apostles. You know, I believe that the office of apostleship is over. That was a first century thing of those that, that, that were chosen by Jesus. Uh, but uh, my understanding, my thinking is apostles, one who is sent, apostles started churches, and we need people to keep starting churches. And so in that sense, that, that continues to go on. That's my understanding. But I think the point of the video is that that, Let's do less of the busyness of the church and more of the disciple-making that the church is called to. And that's the point of Rooted. That's why we're doing this 10-week discipleship experience. This is week six, so we're halfway there. We're, we're walking in. We've done week six. So um, just, just an exciting thing. I keep hearing lots of stories that are coming out of this. Uh, perhaps I'll ask in the uh, cross-training time, which is uh, 1045, we'll discuss the sermon here. And maybe I'll ask you if you have any stories uh, from your own rooted, experience, rooted group experience to share with us. So, um, but that, that's my heart really for the church is that we become less busy on the peripheral things, the things that aren't essential to making disciples. And rooted is about making disciples. That's what we're about as a church. Um, okay. Uh, I, I saw that video and I thought, oh, I'm not going to be any more meetings, right? That's what, the, that's what the video said, right? No more meetings. Amen. Did the chairman amen me on that. All right. All right. I like that. So, um, Ephesians 2.10. If you've memorized it this week, let's say it together. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many of you don't like handiwork? You like workmanship. How many of you like that? That's your version. Workmanship? I'm workmanship, okay? Just had to ask, okay. My voice is still, I've been coughing all week, so I'm going to try to watch how I talk and not overdo it and not yell at you like I normally do. Um, okay, so let's do this. We're doing Ephesians 2.10 this morning. That's our rooted memory verse. All right. One of the things I loved the most about being in youth ministry was, and I bet Andrew, I bet you're the same way. I think I've heard you talk like this. Um, you get to take a group of students and you get to take them on a, on a missions trip or a service trip. And, and you leave the confines of home and, and all that's natural and familiar. And you take them to an unfamiliar place and then you put them to work and get them to do these things. And, and it's just, and then you watch the Lord show up and speak to them. One trip I did in an inner city experience, um, I remember, uh, some, some of you work with YouthWorks before, the organization, and one of the things YouthWorks does is when you get to their site, that's when you find out what you're going to do to serve. Like they, they, don't, they don't prep you beforehand. They just give you like a variety of ideas of what you might be doing. And then you get there, and the, they put all the, the youth pastors or youth leaders in a room and they, they, they show you all the different work projects, and then you take your group and you just assign them to different places. So two here, three there, four there, and, and, and then Monday hits, and you go out in these different places, and everyone has their assignments. You know, you're going here, you're going to the nursing home, uh, you're going to run the VBS, you're going to do this, and, and then they all go. Um, one young man had an assignment at an office building, and... I wasn't there to see it, 
another group leader was, was taking students there. But I heard about it when he got back from his assignment on Monday because he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't happy because he figured he'd paid to go on this trip and, he, and, and they took him to this office building and they had him cleaning and they had him uh, organizing things. I guess it was kind of run down. And so they were kind of caring for the building that these people were working in as their office space. And he came back and he was like, I, he had, a, he had a, like a list of things. He's like, I, I don't understand why. I mean, we're, we're doing this and, and nobody's thanking us. No, no one's saying good job. I mean, you've got this group of teenagers here and they're all working here and we're cleaning up their building. And they're just watching us. They're not like, not say anything to us. And then he's like, and, and shouldn't they be cleaning up their own office building? Why, why are we doing it? They work there. Don't they care about their workplace and, and keeping it looking nice? Why are we doing this? And then to make matters worse, you've got all these kids that were, all these teenagers that were coming in from VBS, and they'd work with all these kids, and they were loving on kids, and kids were hugging them and kissing them, and, and they're like, oh, man, I, you know, and, and you can just hear the girls, right? I mean, oh, I just, I just got to work with Sally today, and I got to lead her to Christ, you know, and and, and then this young man's like hearing all this stuff like, I'm not going to lead anybody to Christ in my office space that I'm cleaning, you know. No, no one's even talking to me there. And so th- th- there's all this going on. And, and I tried to talk him through this. You know, how do you understand things when you're working and you're not appreciated and when no one's noticing and when you're doing something that nobody else wants to do? And it, you're doing it for the Lord, right? And... I don't know that his attitude improved a lot, but I do know on the last night, they, they, uh, YouthWorks always does a special foot washing ceremony. And this guy, I mean, I, I washed his feet that night, and he bawled like a baby. I mean, he just wept and wept and wept. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how God spoke to him that week. I never got like the, I don't remember the finish, the final product. And of course, none of us are done being finished. But, um, Serving. Have you ever been in a place where you're serving the Lord and you're like, this, I don't like this at all. This, this is not my thing. No one's noticing what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm making any sort of impact. And in general, you just have a bad attitude about it. I don't think it's just teenagers that have that problem. There's me. I have that problem. I might not say it because it's not very pastoral. You might not say it because it's not very Christian. But you feel it. You feel it. I want to deal this morning with Ephesians 2.10. And by the way, I, I pre- somebody, anybody remember I preached this two years ago in January? Anybody remember that? Really? I'm done serving. I'm, I'm just... Man. Man. Oh, they're all so good. You can't remember. All right, there we go. I like that. Well, when, when I preached on that one verse, Ephesians 2.10, and let me tell you when, when you, when you preach on a verse like that, and then you're going to preach on it again later, because now it's part of Rooted, and that, that's our memory verse for the week, you kind of tell yourself, I'll never be as good as the first time I did it, right? Or I'm just going to rehash the first time I did it, and, and, and that's not any good. So, so what am I going to do with this? And you feel the weight of it. So what I'm going to do, and I ask the Lord, you know, what, what, do, what do we need to hear from this that I didn't say last time? Um, or if I say it again, apparently none of you are going to remember. So, 
So, what was that story I started with last? Let me do, no, okay. Um, created in Christ Jesus. That's what I, that's what I really kind of wanted to drill into a little bit. You've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, Ephesians 2.10 comes after Ephesians 2.9, which is, uh, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, in Ephesians 2.9, which is one of the most amazing gospel verses in the whole New Testament, uh, Paul says, you're saved by grace, and it's not by works. You can't boast about it. You're not saved by what you do. You can't pay back Jesus by serving him. It's all grace, all the time. But in verse 10, he says, but you're, but you're God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his workmanship. It's past tense. You've already been made this, by the way. You're made into God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So good works flow out of who I am in Christ. They're not to pay him back. They're not to earn salvation. That's all basic Christianity 101. So what does it mean to serve in a way that channels God's grace and doesn't focus on me and my attitude? or my self-righteousness, or, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. How do I serve in a way that I show that I'm created in Christ Jesus to do these good works? What I want to do is I want to look at how Jesus told us to serve and, and just do a little survey of all, not all, of course, but many of the things Jesus said about serving. And I want to contrast self-righteous service with humble service, true service. Self-righteous service says, um, nobody thanked me for cleaning the office. I don't think they even noticed. Why, why don't they do this? Why did I drive five hours to come clean their office? Self-righteous service is service that's about me. And it's not about Christ. I, I want to contrast it here in seven ways. So follow along. Uh, feel, free to, feel free to feel convicted. It's good. I did. And I'll ask you if you stay for cross-training, which one uh, nailed you between the eyes, okay? Because I'm sure one will. Uh, it did for me. So, number one, uh, someone versus anyone. If you look at Mark chapter uh, 9, someone versus anyone, if you're taking notes. Uh, Mark chapter 9 says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Okay, so um, this made me feel really good. Sometimes I hear my kids fighting or, or I, I hear other people talking about something they shouldn't be saying, and I don't know what to say in the moment. I'm not saying Jesus is like that, but um, he, he hears them talking. Who's the greatest? They're walking along the road, and, and they're getting this argument. Well, I'm the greatest. Well, I'm the greatest. No, I... I I know him really well, or, or I'm Peter, I'm the rock, of course I'm the greatest. And, and they're all talking like this, but Jesus doesn't say anything until they get to Capernaum. He waits till they get to their destination. And then he says, what are you guys talking about on the road? What are you listening to on that iPod? What were you talking about with your friend in the back seat of the car? You've you been there, right? Busted. Busted. 
And uh, so they're busted, and, and they're all quiet because they knew what they were talking about, and they knew that's not very Jesus-like. And so um, Jesus knows, of course, and he just says, look, if you want to be first, you've got to be last, and you've got to be the servant of everybody. Everybody. You've got to be everybody's servant. Here's what self-righteous service does. And we can go back to point one then. Self-righteous service says, I want to serve some people. I want to choose who I'm going to serve. Because I like my wife. I want to serve her. I like you. I want to serve you. We get along well. I'm going to do something good for you. It's even like this. I I remember even in in youth ministry, it's like you've got some kids that when they need help, you're like, oh, I'd love to help them. They're so pleasant and agreeable. And then there's other ones that are not pleasant and not agreeable, and they drive you crazy every time you're with them. And then when they need help, you're going, oh, here we go. Here we go. Attitude. I want to serve some people of my choice because it makes me feel good when I serve you. You're my friend. Some people I don't want to serve. Some people I don't get along with well. Or I don't feel like I do at least. Some people's personalities doesn't jive with mine. I don't want to serve them. But when Jesus says you've got to be the servant of all, that means I don't care who you are, you've got, you got to be willing to serve them. Anybody. The person you can't stand. The person you don't want to see. The person you're going to try to stay away from. It's anybody. That's service. You've got to be the servant of all. Number two, um, feeling versus need. Self-righteous service is based on how you feel. Look at John 13. When he'd finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash other people's feet. I have set you an example that you should have done as I, as I have done for you. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, uh, on, during this wonderful, this wonderful uh, meal that they're having, he stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet. Now they're dirty, they're smelly. I don't like guys' feet. Do you? And when you've walked all day and, and you're sweaty and there's, there's, there's dirt on there and they're all eating, and it's like somebody should have done this. Where's the servant? Where's the hired person to come in here and do this? I don't feel like doing that. Nobody in that room felt like it. Maybe even Jesus didn't feel like it but let me tell you something god doesn't care if you feel like serving he really doesn't care if you see a need and you feel that prompting of the holy spirit and maybe even if you don't if you know that you're the one to step in you step into it someone's got to do it it's about the need it's about somebody's got to do this now i i know that not everybody should do everything i understand that it's common sense Not everybody in here should be a nursery worker. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not everyone here should be the diaper changer, right? Um, I don't know. Do we do that in a nursery? Do you have to do that? We call parents for that, don't we? I hope. I think. I think we do. Um, Not everybody should do this. So uh, so just to balance it a little bit, but but seriously, uh, you're not going to feel like it all the time. But you need to do it because it's a need. And so you step in. Um, I've heard it said 
Not here, by the way. But I've heard it said at a church once that somebody on Sunday morning saw a, a mess, and so they promptly walked over to the custodian and said, would you clean up that mess, please? I hope that never, ever, ever happens here. I don't think Cindy's here this week. She's with her kids who had a baby, so um, I, she's gone. But uh, I, I think I could say this for her, and not that she's ever complained to me about it. I hope that you never go up to her and say, hey, Cindy, there's a mess over here. Would you please clean it up? Now, I know you might need to get help knowing where the vacuum is or knowing where the rags are. You might need help to do it. But I hope that you would just do it. But, but I know how you are. I know how I am. You come to church and you're like, I want to I worship. I want to hear a good message. I want to I connect with some friends. I don't want to clean up. I've cleaned up all week. You should see my house. We've cleaned. But there's something in the Lord's house that needs to be done. Right? So it's not about whether you feel like it. It's about the fact that there's a need and you just go do it. You just go do it. If you serve when you feel like it, you might be a self-righteous servant. Number three, uh, self-benefit versus self-sacrifice. This is Mark 10.41. We can pull that up. Uh, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I didn't show up here so that people would wait on me. I showed up here to serve humanity, and I'm going to do that by giving my life. And then there's another story that goes right along with this I want to show you. Um, Jesus is at a, at a dinner party, and he's talking to his host, and he says something very not, uh, I don't know, guest-like. We'll put it that way. I don't, Jesus is never not rude, but this isn't very guest-like to say this. Show the next verse. Jesus says to the host of the party, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they'll invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, that means you've got to cancel your Thanksgiving plans. That means you don't have to see your family. Who's going to amen me for that? You could say it's Jesus that told you not to invite anybody over. All right, so some of you, yeah, okay, all right, all right. Yep, that's right. Um, that would be misusing the scripture, by the way. Okay, this so we're clear. Um, you should serve your family. You should have them over for Thanksgiving. You are responsible to your family. Honoring your father and mother means you ought to invite them over for Thanksgiving. Okay, there you go. But are you, is it in your heart to say, I want to serve in a way that doesn't benefit me. I want to serve in a way where nobody can thank me for it. I want to serve in a way that's just sacrificial. You know, um, was it last year, Heather, that you guys did the Thanksgiving meal, right? With Thanksgiving, you invited people to come? Christmas Day? Is that what it was? Christmas Day. Um, Spending your Christmas Day with people you don't know feeding them dinner. That's not my impression of Christmas Day, but I know it's the Lord's version of Christmas Day. Sacrifice, self-sacrifice. This is not about me. I want to do things that I cannot benefit from. Now, of course, I know 
when you serve someone, you get a good feeling, right? That, that's a benefit, sure. But I want to serve in a way where you can't pay me back. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because I still feel this, and I know you do too. You ever get invited to someone's house for dinner, and as you walk out the door, you think, I wonder when I need to have them over for dinner now. That's not a gift. That's a payment. That's bartering. That's, that's an agreement. That's like, I'll do for you if you do for me. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is, I've done this as a gift to you. I want to serve you. I want to have you over and make a great meal. You don't ever have to have me over again. You don't have to pay me back. I'm doing this because I love you. If you felt that, oh, they did this for me. Now what do I have to... That's not grace. That's not grace. We don't pay grace back. Okay. Number four. Natural energy versus supernatural energy. I'm going to camp out here for a few minutes just so you know it's coming, okay? Um, Where do you get the energy to serve Jesus? Self-righteous people say, I do it because I'm I'm a pretty amazing guy. You've seen what I can do. I can do a lot. That's self-righteous. Um, John 15, 5. This is Jesus. I bet you knew I was, some of you knew I was going to say this. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. No. You can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from Christ. I didn't say it. He said it. Where do you get the energy to serve? Well, if you're connected to the vine, you get your energy from Jesus. It's supernatural energy. So let me address something. I know we have honey rockers here. We have people that are in ministry, uh, vocational ministry. Let me me deal with something. And we got people that serve a lot. We have great servants here. How do you stop yourself from burning out when you're in vocational ministry or when you're just serving a lot? We call that burnout, right? Um, I think I have a different take on burnout than some other people do. I don't think burnout is what we think it is. I think burnout is one of two things. And the first thing I wouldn't even call burnout. I think burnout sometimes is just intense spiritual attack. I think Paul experienced some, some version of burnout. Can we put First Corinthians up there? This is Paul's version. This very hour we go hungry and thirsty. It's not fun to serve when you don't know your next meal, where your next meal is coming from. I've never served in a way where I haven't had a meal provided. I've never been on a missions trip where I wasn't sure about lunch. Never happened to me. We're in rags. Now, again, never happened to me. We're brutally treated. It's never happened. We are homeless. I've always had a roof, even when I go on missions trips. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we blessed. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth the refuse of the world. What's your self-esteem like, Pastor Paul? I'm not, I'm not writing this to shame you, thank you, uh, but to warn you, my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I, that means the Apostle Paul, became your father through the gospel. And then he says, I love it, therefore I urge you, never get yourself into full-time ministry. Therefore I urge you to imitate me imitate me rags hunger cursed really 
So you're telling me it's okay to serve to the extent that I might not know where my next meal's coming from? I may serve to the extent that people hate me and want to lock me in prison. I may accidentally get myself into a situation that I might not walk away from. That kind of service? Yeah, I want you to imitate me. That's not good for my self-esteem. Okay, next. First, uh, Second Corinthians 1.8. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We're under great pressure, far beyond the ability to endure, so that we despaired of even, despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So apparently, oh, here we go. He's delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as as you help us by your prayers then many who will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. We despaired of life, but God did this so that we may learn to rely on Him. You can serve to the extent where the spiritual opposition is so hot, you could feel like, God, take my life. I'm done. This is so, so hard. Is that burnout? No. That's just spiritual opposition. That's just the world we live in. I wouldn't even call that burnout. I'd call that Satan's attack, and you better get a prayer team to pray you up. The Lord might strengthen you. That's what Paul did. What I think usually, what I think sometimes burnout actually is, um, is it's our own sinfulness in that we do so much and we don't take a break. You can burn out when you don't take a Sabbath every week. When the Lord told you to take a Sabbath, He was saying it because He knows you're not perfect, you're not invincible. Take a break. If you've been running for week after week on end and not having a day just to refresh, you are sinning. God told you to take a break, you didn't take it. Don't blame Him for your burnout. Blame yourself for your sin. Have I seen pastors do this? Yes. I had, account- I had an accountability partner that was putting in 80-hour weeks, a pastor. And he didn't last but a couple years in that position. That's not like, oh, the church just wore me down. No, that's you burned yourself out because you sinned. You neglected your family. You neglected your Sabbath. Don't neglect your family. Don't neglect the rest that God has told you to have. Have balance in your life. And then you don't burn out. That's my best understanding of where I've come, my own personal self, and how do I balance my ministry life. There will be seasons that are heavy, that are difficult, and there will be for you, not just vocational ministers. There will be seasons where you're serving your family and you just wish you could quit. Press on and take a Sabbath. That's my words to you. Self-righteous people say, I can keep going like this indefinitely. Don't do that. Even the marathon runners get to quit after mile 26. Even they get to stop. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, Next, number five. This one, you put an asterisk by the sloth, please. Uh, Sloth isn't self-righteous. Sloth is just unrighteous. Sloth versus stewardship. So Jesus told a parable, and it was about uh, 
different servants, and they got these talents, right? And then the master goes away. Master comes back, and he says, what you, how'd you, what'd you produce with the talents I gave you, the money that I gave you? And some doubled it, some tripled it, some did all these different things. But then he gets to the last guy, and the last guy says, the man who received one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown or gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, the one talent guy only had one. The other ones had more. That's not very fair. Some Christians have more. The talent is obviously money in this, in this, in this parable, but some Christians have more spiritual gifts than others. And some have flashier spiritual gifts than others. I get to talk on a stage every week. So everybody knows what my gift is. You get one. And the guy says, I was scared. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to yourself, I'm, I don't want to serve because I feel like I'm going to mess things up. That's not just fear. That's laziness because the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. That's unrighteousness for you to say, I don't want to serve because I'm scared I'm going to mess things up. That is wicked and lazy, says God, not me. If you're not using your talent, you're clearly disobeying. Don't let fear stop you from stepping in. And, And if you step in and try a spiritual gift out, like maybe I have the gift of hospitality, and you give it a shot and it doesn't work out very well, and you do it for six months doesn't work very well, maybe you don't have that gift. That's great. Try something else out. Don't stop. Keep trying. Keep working. Sloth, though, the laziness factor, you'll never hear well done if you keep doing that and saying, well, I'm scared I'm going to mess things up. So sloth, put a little asterisk by that. That's not... Um, self-righteous, that's just unrighteous. Okay, we're heading to the end. Seen versus unseen. You knew this one was going to come up, right? Uh, Matthew 6. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Uh, This is great. If you can do something that no one knows about, do it. If you can do something that no one will thank you for, do it. If you're serving to hear a thank you, be careful Because then you start saying, I want to know how great I am. Now, we still need encouragement in the body. And so when you see someone serving, you can still go up and say, awesome job. That's good. That's spiritual. The gift of encouragement is a wonderful gift. But when you yourself and your heart attitude is, I'm looking for that, that's not good. I want to balance that verse with another verse. Um, Because sometimes, you know, Sometimes we feel like, well, if I'm not supposed to talk about what I'm doing, uh, then no one's going to know, and sometimes people need to know what you're doing. Hence the next verse. You're the light of the world. The city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Sometimes it's very good to be seen serving God. Okay, that's just a balance here. Your heart, though, needs to be, I'm not doing this to be seen. 
I'm doing this to be seen by God. But in your actions, sometimes it's very, very, very good to be seen serving. Let's balance it out a little bit. Jesus said both things. But if you're in it for a thank you, watch your heart. That's self-righteous. Lastly, on the, on the topic of thank you, I ended with one of my favorites and one of the most confusing, I think, of all. Pride versus privilege. Let's get the verse up there. Um, you ever read this? You ever read this passage and said, like, what in the world is this talking about? Suppose one of you had a servant plowing and looking after sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, after that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. What in the world is Jesus talking about? A master has servants and they go out and they're working and they come in and Jesus says, do you think you're going to get a big thank you when you come in from working? You think the master is going to be like, oh, thank you, great servant. No, you just, you just keep doing your thing. Keep serving. Prepare the master's food. Keep working. Now, this causes me a lot of headache, but um, here's, here's where I'm at on this. You can agree or disagree with me, but I think this is what we're doing. Um, if you ever think that serving makes you better than anybody else, that serving is, is a prideful thing, like, look at me. The master is going to reward me and thank me, and this is all about me. That's the wrong attitude to go into it. Serving is a privilege. Washing feet is a privilege. Doing the lowly thing is a privilege. You get to do what no one else in this world wants to do. You get to be, in Paul's words, the scum of the earth. And that is a privilege. Because you're doing things the world says is ridiculous. Why would you give your money to that? Why would you give your time and talents to that? And you know the secret that this is the most valuable thing in the world. Isn't that a privilege? Are you working to get the thank you? You don't need that. It's a privilege to do it. So let me say again, grace. It's grace that forgives your sin. It's grace that fuels your service. If tomorrow you do something very sacrificial and you serve in some way that's amazing, please understand that God's grace did that in you. God's grace did that. That's a privilege. Every time you serve, there's more grace flowing through you. Why wouldn't you serve more and more and more and get more and more of that grace working in you? Why wouldn't you do that? I'm not discounting the fact that Jesus says we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We are going to get the divine approval. We are going to get treasures in heaven. That's all there. But I hope you can step back from the treasures and just say, what a privilege to serve the Creator. What a blessing that I can do this. And no one else understands why it's important. But Christians do. So the result of all this, you know, um, a few, maybe a month ago, when we were doing David and Saul, I talked about pride and trying to work against your pride. How do you become more humble? How do you know when you've arrived at humility? You never do. How do you become more humble? 
And I think service is the, I don't know how many things there are, but this is probably one of the main ways you can be more humble. The more you serve, probably, if you serve in the right way, the more humble you become. I was talking to a young man once who, uh, it was like he was doing hospice care. I think that's what he was doing. And he said some of the most amazing moments of his entire life were in the room with this elderly person, washing them, taking care of their needs in their last moments. He's like, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice. It was beautiful. It was work. And Christ was there. And when he, and he told the story, he, he, he used descriptive words for what he was doing that I won't share here. But I thought, I don't know that I would want to do that. I don't know that I would want to do that. But what he said about Jesus and how close he felt and experiencing Jesus' presence in those moments, I thought, I want that. I want that. Do you want humility? Do you want to experience Jesus? If you say yes, you will be the servant of all. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Um, You're just amazing. And and your example of sacrifice is convicting. I pray that each person here heard something that just moved them to be a more grace-filled servant to reveal your amazing workmanship in their life. I pray that no one feels guilty because there's no condemnation here. But I pray you would move us to serve with incredible supernatural energy. In Jesus' name, amen.